Hello, students. Welcome to Detention. I am everyone's favorite co-host, the Caleb G., but tonight I am Professor Crunch, and that means it is my job to take care of you hooligans who have been stuck here after hours in the RPG Academy. Before I start with the show, I would like to remind everyone about the current promotion we have going with show sponsor BattleBards.com. BattleBards just released their Pirates and the Grand Ocean tracks of sound effects and music for your gaming pleasure. And they are giving us some coupon codes that you can use with purchases to uh, get some freebies. If you're buying the $10 or $25 credit package, enter code AHOY1, that's A-H-O-Y, and the number one for a free track. If you're buying the $50 or $100 credit package, it's AHOY2 for five free tracks. And with the $150 or $300 credit package, AHOY3, gets you 16 free tracks. Just enter those codes at the time of purchase, and the tracks will be downloaded into your library. So with all that out of the way, we will move on with tonight's episode of Detention. As usual, to help me out, I've brought along some voices you know and love. First and foremost, Scott. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. And tonight, our special guest is Michael. The most special guest. If I'm everyone's favorite co-host, you are everyone's favorite special guest. I'm okay with that. Jeez, Professor, what did you do to end up in detention? What did I do? I left an upper decker in the district admin's office. In his private bathroom? Yo, yes. That's a big no-no, sir. I just thought all the way back to junior high and remember what an upper decker was. Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All righty, so let's go ahead... And get this episode of Detention kicked off with extracurricular. What have we been up to this week, gentlemen? There's there's a lot, I think, that's been going on. Uh, Michael's for me. been up to so much. There's Well, just uh, in pop culture type of stuff. Um, well, Gene Wilder passed away, not to bring things down. But uh, mm. out of all the celebrity deaths that have happened this year, that's the one that hit me the most. I... You know, Young Frankenstein is one of my all-time favorite movies. It is my favorite comedy movie of all time. I love also Blazing Saddles and Willy Wonka and Stir Crazy. And just there's so much that he's – that he, everything he was in was brilliant. He was brilliant in everything that he did. And it just was like, oh, my God, I can't – you know, I just – I can't believe that he's gone. So that really, really sucked for me. All right. So uh, since every radio show needs a point counterpoint, I'll volunteer for the counterpoint. What has he made lately? <laughs> where's he been i feel like his career really you know it, i mean it's it's been a snooze fest right Psh. he's just resting on his laurels yeah yeah jeez. i mean you, you yeah. put three amazing grand slam hits that will live in everyone's collective memory for all of time and then you just like sit it out what <laughs> uh beyond that um i actually broke out and watched big trouble in little china i i've talked about how much i love that movie and I just hadn't watched it in forever, and it totally holds up. Like I loved Wait, that movie. Really, I loved that movie. Yes, I was grinning from ear to ear the entire time that movie was on. I loved every moment of it. The last time I tried to rewatch it was like three years ago, and the racism 
15 minutes in made me like nope my way right out of that like i could not as like like a white male who presumably des- descended from slave owners and then railroaders right watch the sloppy half-cocked disaster of an exploitation film but it's a really entertaining movie it's a really for, entertaining for one it was really, really? funny really did, uh, did you just like the snake lady with her like snake boobs is that it wait Oh, you're not talking about uh, the little, uh, the little you're child. You're thinking of Golden Child. There we go. The I, 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 I want the knife. Yeah, that was uh, pretty fantastically racist. No. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about Big Trouble in Little China, which was it also fantastically racist? I don't. Was he like a trucker like with it, an Uzi? I feel like I only. Yeah, I don't think it bordered. A, I don't think it went to that level of any anything. I mean, it might be. Oh, there's like, definitely a trucker with an Uzi, Michael. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking about like the, the sort of the casual racism. I don't know if it was as uh, as casual as in the Eddie Murphy movie. Um, I mean, it it took a lot for granted i think but i just i just loved that movie i was again was grinning ear to ear the entire time i was laughing i loved every moment of it i'm so glad i went back and rewatched it bully for you it is a fantastic movie for a 80s wire foo kung fu thriller that kind of invented the genre or at least modernized the genre let's say that modernized it with the sleek glamour of the 1980s yeah, they're in like the secret underground Chinese lair of a guy who's been around since the you know the first emperor of China, and yet it's decked out in neon everywhere. Like it, there's like border neon outlines of the skull face, and there's an escalator in the middle of it for some reason. So they filmed this in the mall. Oh my god, oh, that's, just... that's fantastic. Yeah, we um, we're actually going to do Big Trouble in Little China for a movie day uh, fairly soon, and I'm really really looking forward to that because I just the whole time I was thinking this is so much I want to talk about this movie as it's playing, but uh, we'll we'll do that in depth later. Well, you'll burn that bridge when you. I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah. All right. What about you, Scott? What have you been up to? I, I think '80s movies peak with Airplane. The pinnacle definitive surely you can't be serious uh yeah, yeah, i am sure don't call me Shirley. And please stop calling me Shirley. that's right uh yeah no it's it's uh honestly the closest i've ever gotten to a deal breaker with my girlfriend she does not appreciate airplane the movie or she didn't the first time we watched it and she volunteered to watch it again at some point in the future and i've so far refused because if she doesn't like it twice in a row that's it she's out like, I'm packing my bags, I'm sneaking out of the house, like, I'm changing the locks, something, something, you know, I'm burning the bed down, there's got to be some solution. So I don't dare do it again. You don't test that water twice. So what have you been compromising on? Is, is there anything that you guys do agree on that doesn't risk the sanctity of the relationship? Everything that isn't 1980s comedy films. Uh, 80s action films? I Come in Peace? Uh, you know, she actually... Here, here's a funny thing. She loved the Naked Gun. Right? That is odd. Yeah, yeah. Drew a line between Leslie Nielsen <laughs> and uh, the wonder that is Airplane the movie. I don't, I don't. Well, you know, to each their own. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Can't find City Hall. Six one half dozen the other. Something. I shot the sheriff. Yeah, but I didn't shoot the deputy. You know, women, right? Crazy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, aside from that, uh, you know, life's, life's moving along. Uh, I had a good uh, session in my, my home campaign that I've complained about abundantly uh, in our detentions. Uh, obviously, 
you know, as, as a good session, it, it uh, managed to jump right off of the rails right at the beginning. So they started in the dungeon. And of course, uh, the dungeon was my fault. I gave them a closed, locked door, expecting they wouldn't want to find out what was on the other side. So there was nothing planned. And then they opened the door, right? So, oh, God. So, so uh, they, they started in the middle of this dungeon that I hastily put together. And so I filled out the rest of the dungeon. It had a lot of interesting plot points. It had a lot of relevance, NPCs, clues. Great dungeon, right? First of the session leave the dungeon like that was their their <laughs> step number one right and uh then they they meet uh the the big bads familiar out front in the sewers and obviously when you meet a cat familiar who's casting high level sleep spells on you and assailing you you take it out for fish which is what they did and uh then had a long-standing negotiation and then brought it with you to the uh, watch headquarters while you planned your assault on the hidden base right the creature with a psychic connection with the uh, big bad. So uh, then they get to assaulting the base, and what do you know? Like, the door is now covered in rocks, right? They've sealed it up. Uh, so instead, they, they decide to raid uh, the mansion that's coincidentally above the cave that they have no proof there's a connection between, and they have no warrant for. And uh, they might as well just been playing, like, uh, you know, some slapjack music in the background because their, their raid was ridiculous and fantastic. And then one natural 20, the very last roll I gave them, managed to find a secret that proved some evidence. That was how it closed the session. So <laughs> it, was, it was like they, they jumped the tracks, they went around to the fish house, and they got on the tracks the other direction, and they <laughs> ran back into themselves. It was, it was pretty fantastic. Oh, man. So you're running an 80s movie. Uh, you know, apparently... I, I thought I was running Law and Order. I did not know I was running uh, Big Trouble in Little Law and Order. Yeah, there's so much about that we could break down in a faculty meeting episode at, at some point. It was uh, yeah. Long story short, great session. Everybody had a blast, and that is all that matters. Yep, yep, yep. They were having fun. If the players are having fun, I must be doing something right. Doing it right. That is right. Um, I forgot to mention Dark Matter. I've been watching that. Have you watched that, Caleb? So I thought on Twitter you were uh, one of the people that replied that you had watched that. It's the only reason why I brought it back up. I don't remember that at all. Okay, then cut all this out. <laughs> uh, I like Black Mirror. I haven't watched that yet. Okay. What's Dark Matter? Is that one of those? I know it's on Netflix, but I don't know what it is. It's on sci-fi, but the first season's on Netflix. It's a in-space show. Very, very kind of Firefly-ish, but it's got a really low budget. But it actually kind of works like Does I, that imply that firefly had a high budget comparatively i would say yes wasn't firefly like a, a million an episode or something like that i have no idea it was Where it was the money go it was priceless to me uh, but i really enjoy the characters like as cheesy as dark matter is because it is cheesy I, halfway through the first episode i'm like no i'm liking these characters and, and you know I, I i bought in i'm now i think six or seven episodes in i'm really enjoying the story so i'm hooked cool uh, i'll give you the the quick rundown is it starts with a ship in space and every, all the crew are in like stasis pods and then something happens to the ship. There's like some kind of emergency and so all the all the pods open up and they come running out of their pods and they try to take care of what the emergency is and they realize they don't have any memory of who they are. So all of them, they you know, they can still walk and talk and not, you know, like the person who's good at fighting is instinctively good at fighting, but they don't know their name. They don't know who they are. They don't know who each other is. Uh, and they're all in the ship that's out in the middle of space, and they have no idea who they are. And that's the first episode, basically, them realizing that they don't have any memories. Hmm. So I'm guessing the plot revolves around trying to remember who they are, what their mission is, so on and so forth. Yeah, the first couple episodes, some of that is resolved, but not, not overall. So it's, basically, at some point, they figure out who they are, but they don't 
they still don't remember being those people. So then there's like the whole question is, are they those people now? Or are they now someone different? Because they don't have those memories. And um, it's pretty interesting. Like I said, I, you know, again, I don't want to give too much away. This is like the third season. So I'm sure everyone else has probably watched it. Uh, but you two haven't. But yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Give it a shot. It's a fun show. All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's add that to the Netflix queue. Anything else you two have been up to of interest? You know, you, you, you're kind of out on a limb there guessing that my life is interesting. <laughs> I just can't. Uh, oh, I guess uh, my indie improv troupe had our very first show last Saturday. It was very okay. <laughs> Are there any YouTube videos of this that we can watch? Nope. <laughs> what is the name of this indie improv troupe? Because the name is usually very important. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the name is Glitterati. And the reason that is, is because we all hate the name, but none of us can agree on another name. There's nine people in the troupe, and that's way too many opinions, right, to have in one bathtub. So, like, it's just defaulted to Glitterati, because every time we get onto something great, like, oh, we'll call it Puppy Meat, and everyone's like, amazing! And then there's one person's like, yeah, I used to work at, like, the Veterinarian Society. I'm not okay with that. Oh, right. What? Oh, I know. You know, Ryan's pretty funny guy. We'll call it Ryan's holding us back, right? <laughs> Amazing, right? But someone's like, I feel like that puts too much focus on Ryan. Like, oh, you know. <laughs> well, then you make up a different, like someone who's not in the group. Like if there's no Charles, you say Charles is holding us back. Haywood. Haywood's holding us back. Yeah. Silly Haywood. Or Big Trouble in Little, wherever you're at. Big Trouble in Little Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's a documentary, my friend. That's that's a serious tragedy right there. <laughs> well, that's all well and good. Uh, for me, up in my neck of the woods, unfortunately, not a whole lot has been going on. Uh, I've been stuck at the day job quite a bit. Um, a lot of crazy things are happening in the corporate world that I spend too much time caring about. What? No, I've never heard of that from the corporate world. <laughs> that story is just too unbelievable. You're right. I'm just making it all up. I'm I'm such a good improviser that I'm creating this entire backstory of corporate intrigue and drama. Whoever heard about anyone in the corporate world caring? That that lost all sense of disbelief. Yeah, I know. Uh, mm, okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, God, I can't. I can't even come up with another good idea. I'm so goddamn tired. I've been working so much. Uh, I don't even know. Dollar, dollar bill, yo. Pretty much, pretty much. Hey, Catacon's only like two months away. Woo! That's true. That's true. That is uh, slowly going to be consuming our every waking moment, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I pretty much. I'm already under the crushing anxiety. Uh, I don't. I mean, you haven't yet to join me, but you're welcome anytime. Oh, maybe I'm just not sharing how much. I'm already there. Oh, okay. Nah, I'm not, I'm not that anxious. I'm okay. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed watching you guys and your different scoping skills for, like, handling the sword of Damocles that's just, like, been, you know, slowly scissoring back and forth over your necks as the, the you know, the, the, the Kickstarter ramped up, and then the Kickstarter ran, and then the post-Kickstarter stuff went, right? And then we had kind of the summer lull and the Gen Con thing. Like, it's, it's, it's like cycles of the moon. It's, it's phases of the Caleb and Michael stress show. We are currently waxing. Yes, waxing yes. anxiety. Yes. We, you wax on. Yeah, we will remember. be waning after a catacon. Wax on, wane off. Give us. Give us. Give us. Yes, that's a thing. 
I always thought it was pronounced gibbonous, yeah. but that's pronounced. I am from a rural Hickwater where we add extra syllables <laughs> in words. <laughs> you have the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. No. So if if we had a show where Michael talked in his native craziness and and Scott reverted back to his native dialogue, we would just have no idea what was being said, right? I would be like that character Brad Pitt played in Snatch, where you just literally don't understand a word that he says the entire time, but he's still the most compelling, charismatic character in that movie. <laughs> Which is when I realized that, holy crap, I actually like Brad Pitt as an actor. He's actually really talented. And he eternally will be asking, what's in the box? What's in the box? Out of everything he's done, wh- why is that the one thing that I just think of when I think of Brad Pitt? What's in the box? Because you love Monty Hall. <laughs> sure. Maybe. Who doesn't? He's so dreamy. Very he's got true. such a surprise dick in a box for you. And you can take <laughs> that or what's doing door number one. Like, you just don't know, right? <laughs> you don't know. Sometimes you just got to make a deal, right? Every time. Every, Every single time. time. But don't change your answer. We learned that. Never change your answer. No. Once you pick, stick. Always, always change your answer. No, you never change your answer. Yet you always change your answer. No, you never. It is statistically to your advantage to always change you your answer. You are incorrect, sir. That was a huge thing they did on Mythbusters. They actually proved that you should not change your answer. If they show you that, that one of the doors was nothing, you should never change your answer to the other one. Is, I suspect you're remembering the opposite conclusion. No. Because the, the, the truth of the statistical model is you always change your answer. By changing your answer, you're taking two doors, right? You, you have a two out of three chance of getting the prize if you change your answer. I, I think you're incorrect. Fine. We'll just uh, have to destroy the podcast now because <laughs> we can't agree to disagree. <laughs> this is the end of all. Well, the, the, this, is now, uh, this is now our uh, uh, 80s film. That 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 uh, you know. This is our airplane. The movie. We we just we'll never get over this. Or I could just Google it and find out. Doubt because then I might be wrong. You're not allowed to Google it. <laughs> and I think we have established that in detention, facts don't matter. Oh my God, that's the how the slogan of the show. Perfect. The segment. There you go. We will interrupt this potentially career-ending debate between <laughs> Scott and Michael. Uh, if you would like to weigh in on this uh, horribly important discussion, uh, write to the show. Twitter, Facebook, Michael, care of the RPG Academy. Tell us who's right, who's wrong, or if you don't care, that's fine too. Just write us and let us know. Some of us are very lonely and have been waiting for email. <laughs> and we will move on to our uh, second segment of Detention, which we have rebranded to be on theme of used books here we will talk about an old campaign that may have ended prematurely what happened why it happened how we could have prevented it and maybe just share some inspiration for one of your home campaigns you know we've all had a turn sharing a a dead campaign here so so who wants to go today anyone have a good idea i have one shocking i know so i'm looking right very ahead, quickly Michael. scott i think you actually you might be right so we'll we'll table that for now. <clears throat> um, we already stopped that discussion. We we can't go backwards. Right. We always move forward. Move forward. Okay. So this is a campaign that I've actually tried to run multiple times. Uh, it's one of the ones that we've mentioned on the other show uh, where I start people as children. And the name of the campaign is Finders Keepers. And the idea is that there's this wizard named Finder 
it wasn't his actual name, but that's what he became known because he was really good at divination magic and he could find things. It started when he was a young lad and someone lost a wedding ring or, you know, in the, in the hayfield or a child went missing. He would be able to, to locate them. And his sort of crowning achievement as he got to be this powerful wizard uh, was a divining rod that would find anything that the holder desired. So you had it, whatever you thought, it would basically divine and, and take you in the, the direction you needed to go. And because of his power and uh, what he could do, he had to have people that would protect him. And those became, there were four or five soldiers that were, they became known as keepers because they would keep him safe. And then the joke was that they were finders, keepers. And then the campaigns that I ran, this was always years and years had gone by and he had kind of faded into memory but there was this old keep not too far away uh, from the small village or town that the kid PCs were in. And, of course, they would go explore it at some point, uh, you know, and it's like a dare. Can you spend the night in, in Finder's Keep? And then while they were in there, they would, of course, locate the secret chamber, find his incorporeal ghost-like form at the same time that bandits are trying to break in to get his divining rod. And so his ghost implores them to take up the divining rod and keep it secret, keep it safe. And they uh, basically become finders keepers and they try to outrun the bad guys and keep it safe. And I know that I've ran this at least twice. And I think I may have even ran it three times or at least started to. And in all of the cases... The first session always went really well. People have seemed to have enjoyed playing the kids. And because I've ran it so many times and have thought about it so much, I have a pretty in-depth knowledge of it. And you know, it's, a very, it's very easy to run the first session. And then it always seems to fall apart after the first session. And I'm wondering if I wouldn't be served by having sort of a jump forward after the, hey, we're playing as 13-year-olds, we've got the divining rod and we're running, Maybe next thing they should, okay, now you're like 18. It's been a couple years on the run. Now they can have their classes because I've never done it that way. I'm just trying to figure out why it falls apart because the first session always seems to be a lot of fun, but it's always kind of petered out after that. And that's pretty much the entire setup is that you're on the run from these BBEGs who want the Divining Rod for any nefarious purposes and, and do you use it and what do you use it for type of a thing. So if if... It finds anything that I think of, and I thought of like world peace, or or other abstract concepts which are difficult to achieve. Would it just take me to like the next step in achieving that world peace? Uh, no, it it only would work on physical objects. Oh, so if there was a person so, uh, named world peace or an object named world peace, it would take you towards that. What if I thought of? The physical object, which is next in line for me achieving my objective of attaining world peace. Uh, I think you you have to kind of know what it is that you're after. Like you could say that that that's what it is that I'm after. Uh, but, but that's too obtuse. Like it has to say like I want the the richest treasure in the land. It's going to take you to the largest amount of gold. Uh, well, and that's not obtuse to find rich. It could be the richest cultural treasure. Hmm. Could be the the richest treasure in spirit. It takes you to the temple. I guess whatever your heart desires, and I would have to, as the DM, uh, oh. uh, sort of uh, interpret what what your character means. All right, all right. But it's usually well, uh, like I want the key to the safe in the noble's household, or I want the the dragon's lair, or the sword of kill everything type of thing. So when you have attempted to run this campaign. 
and it has fallen apart or not gone the way you intend it to by the second or third session, what's happening? Is it that they're losing interest in being on the run from the big bad? Does it just mechanically not work because... The, is, is it hard to get the transition? Is, is it hard for people to uh, like see the quick evolution of their characters from, from, from young to now havers? Yeah, why, why, what is, Again, I, I'm, I'm supposing that's what it is. I, I probably could track down some of the players who played it and, and maybe ask them directly. But in most of the cases, the way it's been set up is that there is like a winter storm coming around the same time that this all happens. And that's sort of like part of my cover is that you run into the forest with the item as the bandits are chasing you, you get away and there's like a blizzard hits. So you have, you're kind of protected in a way they can't really get to you. You have to seek shelter. And I think it's something that in like a novel probably would work well, give you a lot of time for individual character development moments and sort of the rough and tumble survival skills that are needed. But in game terms, it's kind of boring and I think it lasted too long. Uh, in both cases, the second session was almost always completely surviving in the wilderness, surviving the storm, kind of gathering yourselves and figuring out, like, you know, I've always I always wanted it to be, you guys have one of the most powerful items in the world. You know, again, I don't give out magic items, but here I am, session one, you're a 13-year-old kid, and you have one of the most powerful magic items in, in the entire world. What do you do with it? And I find that fascinating. I don't know that it translates to a fun game. I wonder if part of the difficulty could be the fact that you are starting with kids. Now, I know that you love the hero's journey concept in your games. You love starting with no or low-powered characters and watching them develop which from a writer's standpoint, from a plot standpoint, from reading a novel, that makes a lot of good sense. But maybe that's what isn't translating into a game. I don't think so, and this is why. Because the first sessions have always went well. The playing as the kids is fun. But I think, it's, I think that it might be it's, it's the novelty of it, but I think then it gets old quickly. You know, it's like, okay, this is cool. You know, we're kids. We don't actually have abilities. Um, you know, in, in one of the instances, I remember uh, one of the characters basically hung out at the stables. That was kind of like their their job. And then at one point, they took a bucket full of nails and dropped it on someone's head. It was very Home Alone-esque. But, you know, it was, it was great. Everybody had a lot of fun with that. I think, again, I think now, thinking back about it, it probably would, there needs to be a really quick transition and now you're a first level character rather than trying to play it out as kids. I mean, in a way I agree with you because if I started with, with characters, I wouldn't have to worry about figuring out the transition, but playing as kids always seems to be fun as well. So I think the, the issue is the transition could be wrong. So if, if, um, but, but the, 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 the trouble with making a quick transition like that is, is that, is that so much is going to happen immediately after they get this world changing life altering magic item, right? That, that you can't, like, and two years later, what happens to you guys? Like, who knows? The chaos of that means that we really want to play it, like, day-to-day, hour-to-hour, because crazy crap could happen at any point, right? I mean, um, you know, you, you, you could get new brilliant ideas of things to find that are really going to help you out, and staggering powers that be could come fight over it, you know, fight each other over you. Um, so, so 
I mean, what, what about running the child thing as like a pre-session? As, as uh, talk about how uh, you guys grew up around this, this thing and there was always that dare, right? And, and you're going to be children and, and, and we'll do that for like as a session zero for an hour or something to find time. And now you're adventurers, you guys have all left and your promise was to, you know, you're, you're meeting back, you've had somewhat separate lives, but you're meeting back and, and the deal was now you're all brave adventurers, you've proven yourself everywhere except for the old haunted mansion. And so now you guys are going to stay in it for a night like you never could as kids. And so now you're established characters, you have background, you have skills and experience, and now you're getting this amazing item. Maybe does that decouple the issue? Maybe. Um, I mean, again, I'm just trying to, trying to think. Because uh, you, could, you could still run one session as kids and still keep most of the plot the same where bandits are coming. And as children, you have to keep the bandits away. But maybe you win. Hopefully you win. The bandits are are taken care of. That doesn't mean you ever actually have to get the item. All you know, you may not even know what they're after. And then it's still with what you said. You know, then I say, okay, it's been three years. You guys are back in town for family reunion, whatever. You never did explore the explore that keep, and it's still so it still lets them have the. Because what I enjoy about playing as the kids is having to come up with different solutions to problems. Normally in D&D, hmm. the problem is always hit it with this, the, the thing, you know, the sword, the hammer, or the magic. When you don't have that option, you are forced to use other types of things. Like, again, dropping buckets of nails and, you know, setting up trip wires and role-playing, hmm. uh, which I really enjoy those aspects. So it's, it kind of allows me to, to, you know, utilize that type of play, which I really enjoy, before they become characters. And then the hit it with the stick option becomes plan A, B, and C. Uh, so I think I could do both. Have session, session one as kids, but just change it so that they don't actually get the item then. They just repel the invaders, uh, then jump forward a couple years and bring them back. And then there's another attack. This time it's a bigger bigger force where they can't just win even though they're characters. They're forced to take up refuge in the in the keep. And then that's when they find the item and so on and so forth. The other thing I could do is I know I think there's a movie or a story I read that was somewhat similar to this. I'm sure I've stolen parts of it somewhere where it is kind of a cheap thing, but it's like, okay, you guys are in the woods, you're in the snowstorm, you have this item, we're going to fade to gray. It's three years later and you're back where you buried it because you all agreed that you would return on this day uh, because you hid the item and you knew you were too small to protect it. And then of course it's gone. So they go to dig up the, where they buried it next to the mossy rock and the item's not there. And then that, then they have to track down who has it and how do they get it type of a thing. It could also still be there, but I just like the idea of they came back and now it's gone. Of course you do, because in a Michael game, if there's an opportunity to screw your players, you can't help but take it. <laughs> just, it's just, it's just like that kid in the candy store look like, oh, I could, I could fuck with my players with this. Oh, it's not that I want to ruin their agency. Challenge you oh, and. I, I could put you in oh. interesting role-playing situations. Interesting cinematic situations, which... I think what's interesting to take away from this is that when Michael is running a game, Michael is trying to drive very specific situations and results. Big narrative, is that fair to say? Big narrative big, dramatic, challenging situations. And I think, I'm just guessing here, having played several Michael games, I think maybe what happens is that sometimes the players 
don't see the scope of what's happening from Michael's perspective. So, so what would you, uh, what, what specifically would, would you suggest for this uh, used book to, to get it back on its feet or to turn it on its head? Hmm. I have two different solutions, and I don't think either of them is perfect. One of them is something we have talked about a couple times here on the Academy, getting player buy-in during session zero. So possibly if Michael says, okay, guys, here's what we're wanting to do. I want to have this opening scene and I really want to focus on your character's growth and development as children moving into adulthood, learning to deal with this big concept. Now, maybe you don't say specifically what the concept is, but maybe you prepare the players. I This is what I want the game to be about. I don't want it to be about going on having adventures, even though adventures is going to happen. I want the core of the game and the role-playing to be development and growth and evolution of your character in the presence of this huge world-changing thing. So basically you're saying, hey guys, I, I, want, I want to play this type of game. I don't want to play a murder hobo game. So maybe if you set it up that way to begin with, players will walk into the game saying, okay, I know that as after session one, when we're kids doing Home Alone shenanigans, we're going to be in a place where we need to focus on kind of the minutia of growing up and what it means to develop and change. And they'll be more prepared to deal with this kind of, I don't want to say boring, but not <laughs> typical part of the game. Because I definitely don't think it's boring. It, like I said, I, the first sessions have always been a lot of fun. Right, 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 right. But but the transition tra- from there. Yeah, the transition. Right? The, the transition to, okay, we had this big adventure, but now we need to grow up. So maybe by preparing them before the game to say, I want to focus on that growing up, maybe that would help. Because I, I, I think what's, what's falling apart here is that you have an idea for how you want the story to go, and you are trying to put the uh, crumbs on the trail for your players to follow. But as they are bringing their perceptions and expectations to the game, they either don't follow the path you've laid out or they take it a different direction. Oh, I, I kind of get what you're saying. You're saying that like the, the survival scene at the second bit, right? The, the, the intention is that it provides a rich atmosphere for them to develop inter-character relationships. And then the, the players, having not been briefed on that expectation or bought into that expectation, they're just like... We have to attack the darkness? What is this? It's cold? Like, I wear a sweater. What? Well, this is not fun. I came to stab monsters. Right. Because, again, from, from the standpoint of what Caleb's saying about the idea where the camping was going, I, I disagree there uh, because it's like an improv scene. I have the setup. Your kids, you find this thing you shouldn't have. Bad guys are after you. And that's really it. Like, at that point, they are free to do whatever they want to do. Um, the idea of keeping them in the snowstorm was just sort of a plot conceit to explain why they these kids are able to actually outrun the bad guys that are after them reasonably enough for them to have time to make plans and change uh, but i don't have like 
this is what they're going to do with the item or this is where they're going to go or what this is what they should do. Um, so the setup is different, but I, I think what Scott was talking about makes sense that like, I want them to use that time to role play. And if your group isn't used to doing that, then they're probably just looking at me like, okay, well, when do we move to the next scene? And I kind of feel like if I, if I ran that game now with my current group or with you guys, it probably would work better. Because this is a game I ran in my in my youth. This was even before I did Session Zeros because I thought they used to be stupid uh, before I realized their value. So it's probably something that you guys would be able to, okay, this, you know, this is the time where we talk to each other in character because that's a lot of fun. And maybe I just wasn't at the point in my DMing career where I expressed that correctly. And I didn't quite know how to express my frustrations. So they didn't have fun. I didn't have fun. And it's like, do you want to play again? Eh. And then we just started something different. It's a little bit more traditional, stab the monster with the stick type stuff. And the other solution I was going to bring up much more briefly, maybe D20 D&D isn't the right mechanical structure for this type of story. But it works. It works it well. It does. I, I'm not saying it doesn't absolutely at all. But possibly this type of story game could be better told with a mechanical system that is shifted away from combat resolution. Like like more of a, just a general system, like a fae or a fate? Or, or what do you take them out? I don't know. I honestly don't know what system might work better, but one of my first instincts whenever we come up with a story that doesn't always flow properly in a certain system is to look at changing the system. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. maybe the function is interfering with the purpose. Yeah, the, the, the basic mechanical incentives and, and uh, rule construction, right? If, if, if the, the information presented on your character sheet does not help you play the story you want to play, then the system is suspect. Right, and Dungeons & Dragons is very focused on conflict resolution. The majority of that conflict being, I stab something to death secondarily is I use my skills to overcome a challenge. Still some sort of conflict resolution, right? In my opinion, anyway. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. No, no, no. But I, I, was, I, was, uh, I had not considered uh, Michael's uh, session two as a non-conflict resolution. I, I was thinking about man versus nature, not focusing on it as man versus, uh, like player versus player, but not in an adversarial or confrontational sense, right? And so how do you design a set of rules or a character sheet that maybe rewards uh, player versus player on player action. And honestly, the only one I can come up with is, uh, oh, what was that adults only campaign setting that came out? You get bonuses for having sex with other players. Monster hearts? <laughs> no, I honestly don't think so. It was. Uh, There's a lot of sex in monster hearts. There is. Was but actually. Is it monster hearts? Uh, no, I'm thinking of monster of the week. Yeah, monster hearts. And monster hearts is a powered by apocalypse game. No, not Monster Hearts. Yeah, it is. No, then, then that's not what yeah. I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, then that's uh, not what you're thinking of. He, he, he came to Ecaticon. He demoed the system. He, John uh, Wick. Right. Right. What was the system called? Uh, Triple X Galaxy something? Yeah, Galaxy yeah. XXX, I think. If only Matthew was here, he would know because he, he played the goddamn game. He, he played in that game. Right. So, so, so that is a system that, that, that the only system I can remember off the top of my head that specifically rewards player-player interaction and that, that, that does not assume it's adversarial, right? Like, 
Like, you don't have, like, a skill check to decide which of the players wins. It's like two players can just interact with each other, and they both get bonuses, and it doesn't have to be related to a specific conflict they're, they're experiencing right at that moment. Possibly. Possibly. Oh, or, or the... There's a Japanese system that, that's all about um, samurai and anime, and I've never played it, and obviously I don't remember the name because I'm a terrible guest and a horrible human being. But uh, they, they have uh, predefined scenes that you'll play out with two people, and like there's an objective to the scene. Like If you guys play out a scene where, where you are angry and you are sorry, and no conflict gets resolved, right, because this fits more into this Eastern narrative that we have here, then you guys get like uh, tokens or something to, to further your group's goal sometime. All right. I mean, if we're just going to go crazy outside the box, we could even do session two as a fiasco game. There you go. Oh. Yeah, like, uh, oh. Session one is D&D. Session two is fiasco. We, we develop these relationships through strict role play, basically. And then we come out the other side, growth, but damaged, perhaps. And now we pick back up with level one characters. I've been trying to get up in the courage to... Uh work with with a group of players and and present the idea of like we don't have to use the same system every night we can use the same characters in the same environment change system to system see how it goes but uh a bunch of my players you know like bought the fifth edition books you know and like spent a lot of time reading the rules i think i'll kind of just piss them off more than anything else but we'll see (laughs) i know uh, at a catacon last year jared ran a game it was a fate game but rather than tagging aspects or like spending fate points you had to pull a jenga brick and so it was like a weird hybrid between fate and dread. Hmm. Great. Yeah. Fred. But hey, once Rot Iron wraps up with all of us dying uh, or winning, whatever, whichever of those two happens, maybe the next game could be uh, Finders Keepers. We'll try it again with uh, you guys, see how it goes. Because <laughs> Caleb loves playing kids. <laughs> I'm just going to spend all my free time between now and then planning the most rule abusing ways to completely exploit and break this one trophy magic item you've made all righty well i think it's time to put this used book back on the shelf we've definitely come up with some interesting ideas of, of ways we could potentially resolve the problem and uh maybe we'll see what happens next time around i, I would definitely like to explore the concept of that game a lot further i, I know that aspects of that story have showed up in other games you have run. Uh, so, so I very much like the character and the concept you created. So I would definitely like to get into that world at some point. But for now, we are cool. going to move forward with this episode of Detention and Class Review. So moving on through the character classes in... D&D 5e. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Barbarian. It's not a Tuma. Get to the Chapa. He was more of a fighter. If it, if it bleeds, <laughs> we can kill it. California. So, the Barbarian. The, the hulking monstrosity. The mindless fighter. The living chunk of muscle that wields a, a battle axe and doesn't care about tactics. Uh... The Barbarian is pretty interesting, and it's really changed a lot through D&D editions, in my opinion. So, uh, what are you guys' feelings on Barbarians? I'm pro-Barbarian myself. I, uh, my opinion on 3.5 was that it was always just a dip to get a couple of interesting abilities, right? Or an amusing challenge to see how badly you could exploit, uh, like, Wild Shape plus, uh... 
uh, rage, right? Or rage plus spellcasting through some weird prestige class. Um, but maybe that's just how I approach 3.5. So I, I did not appreciate it in, in its whole or as a distinct uh, entity in, in 3.5. But 5th uh, edition Barbarian I adore. I think all the mechanics are really solid. I think they're easy to understand. I think the three paths are really different and distinct. I like that you can kind of mix them up. You can you can kind of do your own mashup thing. And I think probably my favorite part about it is is probably my favorite part of a lot of these classes is just the the separation of the class and the backgrounds. So that that uh, I don't have to just be always a barbarian from the woods. I'm so tired of that trope. Like I just came out of my tribe two weeks ago. You primitive. I don't know how to read. Right. Like in second edition, everyone remembers mm-hmm. that literacy enjoyment. Right. Or the barbarian who has such a low intelligence. They only have their native language. They don't speak common. And so you just have to like spend the entire session with your ears plugged. Right. What do you think, Michael? Uh, well, I remember my first one of the first characters I ever played as a player was a first edition barbarian, and this is back when they had to kill or had to break magic items, or they could break magic items to get experience points. So it was always fun whenever you found loot, and they would be going through, and it's like, well, I want this, and I want, tsh, I want this, and, tsh, and you just start breaking everything before they could divide up the loot. <laughs> I I love barbarians. I think barbarians are really entertaining. I think they're really fun to play. My first experience with Barbarians was the 3.5 iteration, as with most of my experience. And and that very much carried over the illiterate tribal person trope. It was one of the few classes that kind of defined some of your role-playing choices in 3.5 because of the whole illiterate thing. It flat out says in the book, you can't read unless you invest skill points to do so. So it was using the mechanical restrictions to reinforce your role-playing choices. And the 3.5 Barbarian was very much the, you're going to focus on going into a rage, doing a lot of damage, and having a very bad AC while you're doing it. And I remember a lot of games from that time where, not me because I was not playing a Barbarian, but my friend who was playing a Barbarian being very much upset by the fact that all she could do was rage and then get hit because her AC was so bad. I specifically remember sessions where it would come to her turn and she would just go, well, I guess I'm raging, so everyone's going to hit me and I'll probably die. But not until the battle was over because you got those temporary hit points. True. And then, you're, and then your rage would end, right. and you'd be like, oh, let me do the math. Oh, I, I've been dead for an hour. Whoops. Uh, I've fallen cautious. Uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm dead. So I think it's really interesting because, at least in my experience, it kind of is a weird class because you're coming at it from a weird perspective. I, I think it's a – we talked about the paladin last week, how the paladin is really easy to abuse the tropes of alignment – and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's defined by alignment. Right, right. Uh, so if the paladin is defined by alignment, the barbarian, which... Is defined by illiteracy? Is, is, is defined by mental... Primitiveness? Primi- yeah, mental uh, primitiveness or mental or lack of mental skills. However, then the class evolved in 4th edition. Of course, it did not exist in the first player's handbook, which was, I think, shocking for or one of the many shocking things about that initial foray into fourth edition uh the barbarian did not exist until player's handbook two 
where we saw the invention of primal power. And at that point, we saw the barbarian as the strength of the wild in human form. Kind of like the paladin was the melee version of a cleric, the fist of God, right? The barbarian became the fist of nature. The, the primal spirit existed to protect the wild natural realm, and the barbarian as a class was the I will punch you until you respect nature Tarzan. kind of person. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a good example of a barbarian. Interesting. Yeah, and, and they went from emphasizing his uh, primitiveness and his literacy, Tarzan, to emphasizing his uh, uh, connection to nature. Uh, yeah. and, and do you think it's fair then to say that in 5th edition they've, they've moved... I mean, slightly away from nature, right? They they gave more of that to the ranger and, uh, you know, bits to the druid. But what they kept uh, for barbarians, surprisingly, was animal connections, mm-hmm. right? That now the barbarian is, is five times better at having an animal companion or an animal friend or befriending strange animals in the woods than a druid is. And this is another really good example from a couple shows back where we talked about how 5th edition is built on the bones of 4th edition, the Barbarian is another perfect example of seeing that transition from 4th to 5th. Because so much of the Barbarian as it exists now is directly related to the 4th edition tropes that were defined. You know, and, and, and here where I'm, I'm going to put in a big disagreement. Uh, being that, that I think the, the greatest thing, uh, as I mentioned, out of 5th edition is, is the backgrounds, separate backgrounds. And you can play a Barbarian Guild Alchemist, right? Um, my, my current uh, character in, in my office campaign is, is a Barbarian Guild Alchemist, and, and it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, right? He's an old man, and, and I use my old man voice, and I talk about how my mind's got a little muddled these days with, with, you know, the chemicals that I accidentally ingested, and I get a little angry, and you, don't, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And, and, and it's a fantastic character, and it's a complete spin on the old trope, right? You don't have that sad old, like, me Tarzan, right? Me making fun of... Like, uh, cultures that, that are uh, less accessible to, like, white Eastern European <laughs> cultures, right? Like, uh... I like that way to use a barbarian, though. That's a fantastic way to use that class the way it's not intended to, I think. Well, I, I mean, that, that's the beauty of backgrounds, right? You can play one with proficiency in thieves tools and uh, background, you know, criminal background, right? Contacts and, and do the whole thing and just be like, I have an anger management issues, right? I go to camp, I don't know. Uh, thug, right? I, I think there you could play a very religious barbarian, right? Uh, um, motivated by faith, not uh, nature. I, I think there's absolutely good ways to yeah. Um, I really liked some of the fourth edition mechanics for a barbarian. You definitely had rage. I mean, that's what defines a barbarian. But in fourth edition, you had rage powers where you would essentially enter a stance, and you would have an ongoing effect. And that is a little bit about what we see in 5th edition, where you have some of the totem choices. You take on a certain aspect of the wolf or aspect of the bear. So a lot of 4th edition was, I use X rage power, and it lets me take on aspect of the greater jungle panther, so I have better speed while I'm raging, or something ridiculous like that. And there were rages for... The white dragon rage, the the dire wolf rage, things like that. Yeah, you were essentially Brave Star. Yeah, yeah, you were. Eyes of the eagle. Exactly. <laughs> Strength of the bear. Speed of the poo. And, and you could also always trade out 
a rage power for a shit ton of damage. Almost like a divine smite in with paladins. Like I have yeah. this resource, I hit you, I'll spend the resource just for damage instead of the thing that it does. Right. And and the trade in fourth edition was do I get rid of the rage powers? stat boost or whatever it was if i take on the aspect of the puma and i'm super fast do i get rid of that super fast ability to do six extra dice of damage in one turn where's the trade-off so there was still that choice uh back in three five it was all about i will boost my strength and constitution but lower my ac so i do a lot of damage but i'm way easier to hit and there wasn't really too much more special than that uh, the Pathfinder version takes away a lot of the penalties, but there are still penalties, uh, but it gives you barbarian powers. And this is where you can choose things like uh, totem abilities. So if I wanted to be the kind of lycanthropic barbarian, I could choose powers that let me emulate transforming into a bear creature or a wolf creature. If I wanted to be a barbarian that channeled divine power, I could have some angelic features. If I wanted to be really super scary, maybe I have some demonic features reveal themselves when I rage, things like that. Uh, so you can do a lot of really cool stuff with the Pathfinder Barbarian. The 5th edition Barbarian is still, I think, very focused on the relationship with nature, given the different archetypes within it. But like you said, Scott, you can really play any type of character and be a barbarian. And in that case, being a barbarian kind of represents really whatever you want it to. Maybe it's that Jekyll and Hyde persona. Maybe it's a secret hidden rage like the Hulk. Yeah, it could be, could be vengeance, could be a rejection of your noble past. It uh, could be all kinds of interesting things. You're, you're the only super violent Asimar. It's a really peaceful race, and you're just like... Different. You could do some pretty cool stuff with the Barbarian when it comes down to role-playing if you're creative. And if you choose to look beyond the stereotype of the noble savage that the Barbarian typically represents. Well said. But 5th edition also, I think, really does highlight the typical defining features of a barbarian with the rage and the extra damage and things like that within the confines of how fifth edition works the barbarian does function effectively at i'm really good at hitting things and doing a lot of damage yes obviously that's what it does uh but just kind of going back to what you were saying earlier you can still reflavor any of those aspects like i i was just here thinking you could play a barbarian like a monk they're from a very secluded, secluded cloister up in the mountains. And just instead of saying I'm taking on the bear totem, it's a form. It's a kata. It's a, a sort of a key power. I know they have monks that do different things. And, and that's why I can do the thing I can do. It has nothing to do with a bear in the forest. It's just I bring this inner strength from my, my training of my monastery. So, so rage is not um, an uncontrollable overcoming of passions. It's like a deep-seated, laser-focused, meditative state where all you can see is the enemy in front of you, nothing else. Yes. It's almost like a martial arts type of style. You know I mean, you got to play with the flavor a little bit, and you got to have you know, a little, little hand-waviness, but it, you can do it, and it would work. That was, uh, 
I will say one of the most uh, eye-opening and motivating realizations I ever uh, came across in, in role-playing was that, uh, you know, all the mechanics in, in every system come with, like, fluff built in, right? The, the way they explain mechanics is using fluff because the way human beings understand information is through metaphor, simile, right? And so they say, like, we call it a barbarian class, not like class four, right? And we uh, call it rage, not, uh, you know, ability that exchanges, uh, you know, striking ability to ability, ability, a, a risk of being struck, right? But, but uh, those things are not necessarily coupled. You, you, you can tear away all that fluff and put in all new fluff to the same rules, and as long as it fits in your mind, if it makes sense to other players, then you guys have yourselves a fun time. Reskinning is a wonderful thing. It's yes. very empowering. It is. And it's really easy reskinning especially in fifth edition because fifth edition really is, is very simplified in a lot of aspects so just reskinning the flavor is super simple like with the barbarian you literally don't have to change any of the mechanical effects you just change what it means you just change how your character understands what's happening or defines what's happening yep it's, it's like in uh the the uh the elemental campaign you ran uh, for us, Caleb, right? That that I had that uh, warlock uh, druid, but but it was warlock of like the eternal earth, right? Yeah. And so, uh, right, we, we we just retranslated all the spells into like, oh, it's you know this does molten power from the ground, and this hurls like elemental pieces of earth at you, and and what do you know? You've got a you've got a geomancer. Exactly. And if you wanted to take fifth edition and make it say sci-fi. You could just skin the barbarian as nanite warrior. The dark side of the forest, man. Hate grows with exactly. you. Yeah, you give in to your hate and you're super strong. Just rename every long sword into a laser sword. You're halfway there. Uh, you have power armor, but it has limited reserves. So you can't just like be full on all the whole time. I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah lots of different ways you can use it very easily. So, so do we see the barbarian theme in any other games? Yeah, I'm, again, not as familiar with a lot of other games as, as you guys are, but I think in every game, there's usually an option for the person who's maybe newer. I know, again, like when I first started, if you if you were going to, the first time you ever played, you always played the fighter. Like, that was just the rule. You didn't get to play a wizard if you never played D&D before because it was too complicated. You played the fighter because you only had to hit things. And I think the barbarian traditionally is even sort of the... I don't want to say dumbed down version, but the even easier version than that. You just hit really hard. That That's your job. When there's a battle, don't worry about tactics. Don't worry about flanking. You just run up to the biggest mofo on the field and you swing until one of you falls. And I think a lot of games have that sort of, this is the introductory character. If you don't really know how to role play, you don't want to role play, you just want to hit stuff really hard, this is your option. And the barbarian definitely allows you to do that. Uh, I, I think if you do not want to, you don't feel comfortable, or you just simply choose not to, it's really easy just to play the Barbarian as a stereotype. And it might be more challenging to play some of the other classes as a stereotype because there's more stuff going on mechanically, but the Barbarian really does just boil down to hit things until one of you stops moving. Well, and you even mentioned in 4th edition how you could give up powers to do extra damage. You know, that's a scaling difficulty graph right there. Do you want to play very tactically where your speed might be a factor? Or do you just want to hit really effing hard right now? 
And if mm-hmm. you choose that option every time, you're going to run out of stuff quickly, but you're going to do more damage than probably anybody else until that, till you fall or till the battle's over. Although, speaking of that, I do not remember its name, but I know that specifically one of the epic tier powers of a barbarian in 4th edition was quite literally, you stop time and you and your foe have the ability to hit each other until you choose not to. Essentially. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a chicken. You went back and forth until one of you ran out of hit points or one of you said, I quit. Yeah, yeah. It was just, we stand here beating each other until one of us is dead or chooses to not hit each other back. <laughs> I, uh, I dearly miss the, the unbridled absurdity of the Epic Level Handbook. You want to oh. do a tumble check to pass a wall of force? DC 120, you done it. You tumbled so good, the wall of force was just totally caught off guard. Had no idea. Uh, But going back to trying to find the barbarian in other games, I I think what we have been finding in this part of the discussion is that we do not find the mechanical representation, but we find the thematic representation. And it is very easy to find the big, tough, dumb brawler in any game. Yeah, yeah, the, the, it's, it's easy to find the, the dumb, tough brawler. It's easy to find the, the uh, nature defender aspect. And it's, it's usually pretty easy to find the, the, well, slightly harder to find the noble savage, I think. But I, but I would not be shocked at all to find that uh, every system has a noble savage interpretation of some sort. Exactly. And what makes it interesting is how you choose to play that character role. Like all characters. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, but- of course. Maybe this is just my perception, so I'm, I'm willing to be wrong here, but I, I feel like the Barbarian is such a raw class. It's really open to doing some things creatively with your choices. Yeah, all right, all right. I, I can see that, definitely. We should do a one-shot where we all play Barbarians, but we play them vastly differently. I think we should uh, do a whole series of one-shots where we all play given class blank and see what uh, wild and crazy interpretations. I, you know, honestly, that wouldn't make, make a bad um, con game. You know, you just show up with, all right, it's wizards. Here's 20 <laughs> pre-gen, like D&D 5e wizards. Here we go. <laughs> I would definitely play in that because uh, I love wizards. Here's 20 pre-gen barbarians. Here we go. <laughs> honestly, I, I'm a very big fan of barbarians. They're fun. They're You know, and again, you can play them different levels of complexity. But usually if I'm playing a barbarian, it's because I want to play the stereotypical, I'm going to be funny, I'm going to be goofy, I'm just going to hit stuff with my stick until it stops moving. Um, not to say that you can't play them with a lot of dramatic gravitas and you know role play heavy, but usually when I choose to play a barbarian, it's because I don't want to do that. Well, if you want to be funny in a game, you gravitate towards the tropes that allow you to make jokes and the noble savage is a trope that's easy to abuse for humor. Well, and and I don't even necessarily even mean it in that way, but if you're going to make jokes, you either need to be able to back them up. So I'm going to make a joke about your NPC and then I'm going to squish them like a bug. I need to be able to actually do that. Or I need to be able to make a joke and then be the butt of the joke when I fail, take the hit from the B, you know the BBEG, and still be in the fight later. Like, you don't want to be the guy who makes the joke and then gets hit by the BBG and then you're dead. 
that's just not fun, you know. So you have to have enough toughness to either dish out, you know, give it and take it type of a thing. And I think the barbarian does that in both ways. So you can do, I'm going to squish you. And then when you get hit by this, you know, little old lady granny like character who happens to be like a 15th level monk and knocks you across the room, you can just like, you know, grab your jaw and shake it off and stand back up. And then it's still funny that you didn't actually die when that happened. And you didn't have to drag your friends into it to save you, which that's always how I get away with being a complete snide jerk to the big bad is because I know I have a bunch of friends here with the social contract obligation that they have to fall in line when uh, they start punching me. All right, there you go. So that is our discussion of the Barbarian. Uh, I think it's safe to say we all enjoy the class, and it definitely gives you a lot of options with what you want to do and how you want that flavor to be spun in your role-playing. You don't have to play them the way they're presented, but they're a lot of fun when you do. There's nothing wrong with playing the stereotype in a role-playing game, right? Playing the wizard to be the the wise old man with all the spells. Playing the barbarian to be the slightly less intelligent thug. Playing the paladin to be the, the lawful, stupid, moral compass. It's fun to do that, that... Those tropes exist for a reason. Absolutely. That's true. But once you've been in the hobby for a while, it's also challenging to push yourself to do something new. And every class gives you that opportunity. I don't think there is one class that makes it easier than any other. Because role-playing all falls on the shoulders of us as the players. So let me, I know we're trying to wrap this up, but that just made me think of something I want to get your take on. Like in literature, like if you're reading a fantasy novel... It's sometimes you will see the character who's a rogue, but they don't play like a rogue. You know, they're the the rogue with a heart of gold, or they play the paladin who has a dark streak, or they play the you know the fighter who's not disciplined, they're lazy or sloppy. I don't know, and I, you know, I'm just trying to straighten my memory, but I have a feeling that a lot of times characters aren't going to be called barbarians; they're just going to be characters. And if they don't play to the trope of barbarian, then you're never going to know they were barbarian. And I don't know if I'm making, that makes sense, but you're, you can find examples of the fighter who doesn't act like a fighter to model yourself from. I don't know in a lot of literature, there's like, this is a barbarian, but they don't act like a barbarian. Cause if they don't act like a barbarian, then you never knew they were supposed to be. Does that make any sense? Or am I just like really high right now? Uh, no, no, I, I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, right? Like the, yeah, I, I think there, there are definitely subtle ways to play it. I'm just trying to think of a good example to try to add some clarity to your thought process here. You're just trying to be able to sum up his summary? <laughs> yeah. My job is to sum things up here, and I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. This is the danger of having both the uh, the head professors in uh, detention, is that uh, you guys will summarize yourselves all night long. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Uh, and for the record, I'm not high. I'm just sleepy. I don't do drugs or drink. I'm super tired, too, so maybe that's yeah. why I can't yeah. summarize what you're thinking. Yeah, of. maybe we just say, sure, move on. Don't do drugs, kids. Yes. Just hide in your basement and pretend to be a wizard. But, but if you have literature examples of what I'm trying to, to, to explain of a character who's supposed to be a barbarian but isn't played like a barbarian, but you know they're a barbarian because in the story some point they told you that, let us know. There we go. Yes, let's put this on the responsibility of the listeners. Listeners, tell us what the hell we're talking about. And don't podcast sleepy. <laughs> right, which is a mistake we make <laughs> all the damn time. So I, I think we should be wrapping up this episode of Detention before we go too much further down this uh, 
rabbit hole of tangents that are becoming increasingly incoherent. So for myself, Michael, and everyone at the RPG Academy Network, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Caleb. I am now recording. This is Scott, and I am now recording number two. And this is Michael, and I'm recording number three. Wonderful. We're getting so good at that part of this. We really are. If only we were good at the other stuff. (laughs) Science! Raging science. Raging boners. I've got a raging science right now. (laughs) It's so so hard. You have no idea. Boner jokes. Your science is engorged with blood. (laughs) (sighs) Well, on that note... Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.